All right, so uh, we, we've been raising funds, had some leftover funds, and then have been adding funds. Those who use our online, whether it's the daily prayer or watch the services, many of them contribute towards the technology that's used to do that. Um, so there was a second phase that we had to omit when we did the camera in the church and the streaming hardware and whatever that's in there, which was something technology for this room to assist in Bible class. So you see the size screen here. I don't know what size it is. What do you guess? Probably 48, maybe 42. I don't know. Maybe it's a 50. You think it's a 50 inch? No. Uh, I don't think it's quite 50. I think it's probably... Yeah, corner to corner. Well, where did I put the... Yeah, I just... Let's not... The problem is they use, all, they use the biggest number to describe the TVs, right? They use the diagonal measure, which is like the least helpful. Because uh, really what you want is surface area, but anyway... All right, so uh, that is already 36, so it's definitely 42. So that's a 42-inch, plus I, I don't have a widescreen uh, display up there. And we'll, we'll fix that at some point, too. We'll have the text in widescreen. That's on the list of things to do. So that's a 42. This smaller size here, now i got a pointer. Uh, this, we have 75-inch screens over at school in the classrooms. So if you can imagine like what we're seeing there, it would be like this big. So it'd be quite a bit bigger, right? And I, I don't know about height, but I think it needs to be not at this level, but a little bit higher. So it clears the podium. And well, the problem is if it goes too high, you can't reach. So then do you spend, do you spend the money for a bracket that allows you to raise and lower the display depending on the application? Right? It is easier to move the podium. It's cheaper too. Okay. All right. So anyway, this is what we have over at school, 75, which is substantially bigger than 42, right? Um, but I think the application, the kids are different. Maybe we want to talk about 86 because that's 30% more surface area. Um, depends on what brand. So yeah, but like the, the least expensive, this is a little, this is about two grand, a little bit more for the ones we have at school. The new model, actually, newer version. And I wanna say this is another 700. Because if you understand display technology, it's about yield. And the bigger the display, um, the less yield they have because they only allow a certain number of defects. But the more size, the more pixels, the more size, the more chance of a defect. So the bigger, that's why the bigger screens are more expensive because they throw away more of them. Whereas the smaller screens, they don't. Yeah, it, it's just manufacturing. It depends on the technology, but anyway. Yeah, so it's about 700, um, which is money I'd rather spend on other things, probably. But it's like, do it once, do it right. It's kind of my attitude, too. So right now we have about 2,800 in the fund. and But there's some other technology that we'd like to do in here as well. So maybe better sound, like if we were going to show a video. Or um, the other thing was uh, using this space like intentionally as video conferencing. So like if we, had a, if we wanted to have a guest speaker, they could video conference in. If we had a camera, they could see us, we could see them. You can do that with a laptop relatively well, um, but not, it's not all integrated. Or um, like when we have board meetings or whatever to just send out the Zoom link and you don't want to make the track, you can just jump in and we'll see your picture up there. And, you can yell at us and we'll ignore you. I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know how often teleconferencing is a thing, but that's a possibility too. It, all of the discussion about what we were going to do in this room was in the context of COVID, not knowing how long it would last, and thinking we need to do more electronic communication. Thankfully, we've been able to really pull back on that a lot. Yeah. So I want to write a Yeah. If you want to, yeah, you can donate in memory of Ed to the Church Technology Fund. Yep, church technology. Yep, yep, yep. We have uh, how many? I don't know how many different funds we have. We're, Don, I'm looking at Don because he supposedly has a list I can give to people. Yeah. Yeah. They change periodically. A gift? Yeah. Pastor Gillespie goals is $200 for your technology fund. So. I am Mickey Manzik's friend. Who worships and studies with you daily. Thank you for all. Yeah. Very nice. Sandy, that is sweet. Yeah. So maybe, maybe we're getting closer. Yeah. Because I, I'm just, I'd like to replicate the whiteboard, and you don't want to go 97 because now you're talking real money. Yeah, you draw on it. Right. It does both. It's a screen. But the nice thing is, you don't have to keep erasing it. You just create another page, and you just go to the next page, and you start drawing on that one. Yeah. It's really handy. Because like when I do this text, you know how I do it here, where I like have to. Like highlight things like this. You just go over and just swap. I do this in the classroom. I thought all of this was just a big toy and nobody, I would never use it. But when I teach the kids, it's extremely helpful because I can circle words, I can underline words, they can all see on the screen. We're all reading from the same. They read from their Bible or from the screen. It's. You think it's just a gadget, but it really does assist in the in the teaching. Things move a little faster. All right. Well, we're going to bring it to the board on Thursday. So if you voice your opinion, you know, if you have a strong preference, I do just because I like bigger and better boys with toys. But I think the bigger because for the amount of money, that's not much more. Right, right. Plus you're at the back. Plus you're at the back. Well, that's the other thing, too. You say, okay, let's do it. And then, okay, checks in the mail. Yeah, so we'd mount in the same place, take that one down. There's some electrical and things that change. Yeah, it takes the place of both. That's why I like the idea of the adjustable stand or adjustable wall mount because you can get 16 inches of movement up and down. It's it's just spring loaded. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, it does. But. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you've seen the utility of using the the screen. Well, every minute you hold on to the cash, the less it's worth. Yes. So if you spend it, it's. You don't have to worry about that. Then you put it into technology that'll be worth nothing in three years too. So, all right, enough of that. Can we focus? Everybody back, back, back with me. Focus, class, class. Yes, yes. All right. Somebody's, somebody's still in church. All right. Last time we were in chapter fourteen, and if you remember, yeah, if you remember. Um, these are cases of casuistry. So I repeated that at the top of the same paragraph from last from the last handout at the top there to remind you um, that casuistry has to do with case law. That would be another way to say it. So the way the way it's presented throughout this chapter, and we're going to look at four cases later on, um, is there's if you do this, then this is the God's judgment, and then here's the penalty or the consequence. Right? And this is how all law works, really, case law. Right? Break the law here in this regard, 
you know, then you'll be declared guilty and here's going to be if then, right? Then there's the consequence, right? Um, the difference between like civil law and God's law uh-huh, is that um, God always judges justly. God, we, we even pray it that way. You who judge justly, right? This world, we always want justice. Social justice now is the big thing, right? And the problem is that we never judge justly. Our judgments are always tinged with um, false motives or trying to gain authority like, um, or to, to extract money. <laughs> Social justice has, there's a huge grifting element there. Lots of people with big houses now because of social justice. Um, you know, best-selling books. Books are a great way to launder money, by the way. Book contracts. It's like, they don't even sell any copies and nobody cares. Like, wait a minute, you paid how much for that book? To that politician or to that activist? And nobody bought any? And they still got paid? Like, like a zillion dollars? Yeah. All right. Right. That's not just at all. I mean, obviously, not just the money part, but the idea that that you're not going to judge for the sake of the law, that the law be kept. I mean, that, that's what you want. You don't want, act, oh, wait a minute, we have an election on Tuesday? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, you don't want an activist judge. You don't want a partisan judge. You want to judge the judges according to the law, not according to their political conviction. Um, I'm not telling you how to vote. I don't even know. I, know. I know at least one of them was like, I'm a Democrat. And you're like, uh, oops, you thought you weren't supposed to do that. Right, but we, the pretense is gone now, which is nice, right? We don't have to fake it anymore. You just, yeah, that's right. You're, you're funded by Democrat PACs. It's fine. Whatever. You know? And then you just hope and pray you don't end up in a situation where you need to go before a judge that holds a very different ideological position than you about you. <laughs> All right? God's not that way. He judges justly. And you can see some of these. We pointed them out last time. The book of the covenant, if then. You keep my covenant, then I will do this. Thanks be to God. He's gracious. So we violated the covenant, and so then he made a new covenant with us in Jesus, <laughs> which is irrevocable, despite our sin, unlike the first covenant with Moses. Okay? And then the holiness code, which is all the do all these things, which I, I always ask people this question. I don't know, you've read through Leviticus? We did it for a Bible study here, right? Was that during COVID, during the lockdown? I think it was. I did it on video, maybe, and then... Yeah, it was a long time ago. You can go watch them. Their videos are online. Um, Leviticus is, a, is full of gospel, but the gospel is always attached to doing the things that God has instituted. But unlike here, where the list is pretty short, right? Believe, be baptized, receive the supper, right? Confess your sins, be absolved. That's about the list, right? That's about it. If you want God's grace and mercy, he, that's where he's put it, right? Now, obviously... There's a law attached to that. If you forsake the ways that God has promised to deliver his gifts, then you're forsaking the gifts, right? He says, I want to forgive you. And you say, but I don't want to forget, or I want to get forgiveness somewhere else. And they're like, well, then there's no forgiveness, right? Does that make sense? Leviticus is the same way. Ask, no. But the list is much longer. <laughs> and the amount of places that God attaches his mercy or endless, right? There's the bread, and there's the lambs, and there's the bulls, and there's the goats, and there's the pigeons, and the turtle doves, and the, what am I forgetting? The incense, and obviously all the prayers, and the festivals, and the holidays, and all, the just, the list is very long. So then by the time you come to the Augsburg Confession, the unaltered version, of course, which is what we use, uh, Melanchthon says it very simply. Um, you know, rites and ceremonies don't need to be the same in all places, but 
All that's necessary is that, is that the gospel is preached in its truth and purity and the sacraments are administered according to Christ's institution for there to be church. That's it. The gospel is preached truthfully, right? And the sacraments are administered the way that Jesus gave them. Baptism, Lord's Supper, absolution. That's it. Everything else is, if you like, gravy, you know, or frosting. We'll say frosting, right? The nice fondant ones where you can make like a fancy statue. No, you just want to eat the cake. Like, why do you need all the decoration on it? Anyway, we have a lot of decoration. Pastor wears funny things, all that kind of stuff. All right, so that's your, that's your context. If or when or or, <clears throat> then follows the consequence. Right? And we looked at a big one last time, um, which had to do with idolatry right, and setting up an idol in their heart. And that went all the way through to verse 11, right? And bearing the punishment. So that was pretty heavy duty. So let's do this one, which is nice and light. Huh? All right, but there's a very important discussion in here. So uh, we'll just read 12, verse 12 to the end of the chapter. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Oh, I'll like that word, You'll, yeah, and I'll be out of the way, and it'll be nice, big words on the screen. Well, the other no, the other thing too is I'm proposing the board that I, they replace the now seven year old computer that we bought used during COVID to replace the one that I lost because it was belonged to somebody else. It doesn't matter um, with a laptop that won't be restricted to this width that will actually fill the whole screen with the words. Okay, but anyway, okay. go ahead. Anyway, so man, what a lame. When a land sins against me, but acting faithlessly, mm -hmm. and I stretch out my hand against it, and break its atomic bread, and send famine upon it, and cut off from it man and beast. Even if these three men, Noah and, and Job, were in it, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord God. If I cause wild beasts, to pass through the land, and they ravage it, and it be so that no one may pass through it, because the beasts, even if these three men were in it, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters. They alone would be delivered, but the land would be desolate. All right, let me scroll up for you. There you go. Or if I bring a sword upon that man, say, let a sword pass through the land, and I cut off from it man and peace. Well, these three men were in it as I lived. They would be the sons of my daughters, or if I said, send a pestilence into the land and pour out from wrath upon the flood to cut off from it man and beast, even if Noah, Daniel, and Joel were in it, as I live, declares the Lord God, they will deliver neither son nor daughter. They will deliver but their own lives by their righteousness. All right, so I scroll, 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 scroll. There you go. For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send upon Jerusalem my poor disastrous act of judgment, sword, famine, wild beasts, and pestilence, to cut off from the man and beast. But behold, some survivors will be left in sons and daughters who will not out. Behold, will they come out to you? And you see their ways and their deeds, 
you will be consoled for the disaster that I have brought on Jerusalem. For all that I have brought on it, they will, cons they will console you when you see their ways and their deeds, and you shall know that I am not done without cause. All right, yeah, so that's pretty encouraging. Uh, I was going to check here. Console. Here in New King James, it's comforted. All right. And uh, some survivors in ESV, and here it's called a remnant. So maybe I'll switch over to New King James here for the sake of looking at this. All right. So four different judgments. Um, those of you who are, are huge into apocalyptic literature, any of you big into apocalyptic literature? End times? All right, Vicky is. For what? One. Four in Revelation. Four of? Horsemen. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's right. And you remember what they're, the four things they brought? Death and, and sword. War. Yeah. The same four things. Huh, different order, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just thought I'd mention that right away before we got too far along. Yeah, so this, this uh, theme of judgment by these four categories of things, it doesn't perhaps matter so much what order they're in because four, you know, um, is connected to the cardinal directions, right? North, south, east, and west. So usually in the Bible, four indicates completeness or worldwide, if you like, Right? Or, or full judgment, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So often you see, you'll see groups of, where else do we see four? 40 days in the wilderness, or 40 days of Lent, uh, 40 years in the wilderness. There's four and 10. 10 also is a sign of completion, right? Uh, 40 years in, uh, in the wilderness. What else am I thinking? 40 days and 40 nights with Noah and the flood, right? There's that four and 10 again together. Trying to think other, they had their significance to numbers, and it, you think, ah, that's you're just making that up, Pastor. Maybe I don't know if you think that, but uh, I mean, God God indicated the significance of numbers from the beginning when He gave the week, right, with seven, yeah, yeah. So He seems pretty concerned about numbers and using numbers to signify things, right? So four is a sign of completion. All right, let's go back to the beginning. So verse twelve, the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me again, saying. And then here's interesting. Son of man, when a land sins against me by its persistent unfaithfulness. I think we talked about this, but I can't remember where it was, what chapter, that um, your sin desecrates the land. Do you remember this? Right? So like, um, you, you might say that our country has been desecrated by the blood of the aborted, for example. Right? Yeah. And that it, it you know, we've des it's no longer, I mean, it's, it's a place of sacrifice. There's places in the Bible that are like this. There's a place called the uh, uh, the Valley of Hanan. Have you heard of this place? It's by the river Kid or the brook Kidron outside of Jerusalem. No. All right. Well, the Hebrew word for valley is gay, not not gay as in homosexual, but just um, G A E G E H if you prefer gay. And if you put it all together, it's gay Hanan. Now is that starting to sound like a place you've heard of? What's that? Gehenna, that's where Gehenna comes from, Gehenon, and uh, Ge uh, Gehenna is another name for hell in the New Testament, because that's the Greek of the Hebrew, Gehenna. So when it's taken into Greek, it becomes Gehenna. 
uh, a word for, for hell in the Bible. What happened in Gehenan, in the Valley of Hanan? Today it's a park, I understand. <laughs> but back in the time of Josiah the king, which we read about Josiah when we, when we looked at Holdah the prophetess, you remember that? Two weeks ago, maybe? All right. Um, Josiah was bringing about reforms. He was the first king since Solomon to go through. Solomon had established these false altars on the Mount of Olives. And, uh, and they had set up um, actual altars to, what's his name? Moloch in Gehenan, in the Valley of Hanan, to sacrifice their children to. So, yeah, so it was the Valley of Child, they would sacrifice their children to this false god there. Plus, the Mount of Olives overlooks it, which had altars to Astra and Baal on it, which Solomon set up for his false, for his false believing wives. Yeah. Not a pleasant place. Why did I bring this up? The land, right? Today, that land, Gehenna, is just, the name just means, like, let's not go there. It's not a nice place, right? Because the land, in a sense, the land has been polluted. There are other lands that have been set apart that you just can't, that God has set apart, don't live there. Jericho is that way, remember? Yeah. Um, obviously, Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah, both of those cities. Um, you know, and then maybe like, um, the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea might be an example of a place that had received God's judgment connected to Sodom, perhaps, right? And that's the reason why it's like life can't survive. Well, the, the life that survives in a heavily salted lake is interesting, right? <laughs> it's like extraterrestrial life, basically. <laughs> it doesn't belong there. All right. So a land sins, right? Uh, now here, the land could be Israel, right? Because Israel could be the people or it could be the land. Or it could be specifically Jerusalem. Jerusalem comes up later in the reading. So, right. But there is this there is this interesting idea that um, you know we can tease this out that our sin pollutes the place we live. I, I suppose we have some ancestral memory of this. Haunted houses, big example, right? Um, Nine Inch Nails' uh, downward spiral was recorded at do you know a house that he bought just for that purpose. It was the Manson murder house. Yeah. Yeah, and there, you know, like there's like a memory, like it's attached to the place of the murders that happened there. Isn't that weird? You know, maybe, or maybe it's just you impart that meaning to it with your imagination, or maybe it's both. I mean, I've done exorcisms of homes. I've seen weird things. I don't know. Maybe so. Just put God's word on it. Pray against and cast it out. Word of God and prayer. So uh, this is the land. We'll find out what land that is as we go. But here they're being judged for their persistent unfaithfulness. How did we say it in the other reading in the New King James? Acting faithlessly. I think persistent unfaithfulness is a better translation of the Hebrew. Uh, and then notice what happens. They're persistently unfaithful, meaning not once, one, one off, you know. Sorry, I'm picking on you. But like, you know, you sinned this morning. You're, I forgive you. No, but that, that persistent rebellious you know, unbelief, the sin of unbelief, where you're just like, I don't believe in God and I hate him, right? And that's it, right? Um, God's patient with that for a long time. You think a couple hundred years of, of unbelieving kings with a few exceptions, right? God was persistent, persistently patient, uh, but they were persistently unfaithful. Uh, then he puts his hand against them, all right? Now that expression should sound familiar to those of you who watch or listen to the daily prayer or do it at home. The hand, and God's hand is upon who? Who have we been hearing about? One, one of the expressions was the finger, but then there was... Yeah. Yeah, with Moses and the Exodus with Pharaoh. 
And then with, and we'll hear about the hand too. Yeah, it's the hand with the Pharaoh, with Pharaoh and the judgment. All right. So even Pharaoh's magicians acknowledged that that was the hand of God that was heavy upon them. Right. You don't want God's hand, left hand, heavily upon you. You want the right hand of blessing, not the left hand of judgment. If you want to use that expression. All right. So his hand's going to be against them. Um, and I know this bothers us. It's like God, I thought God was gracious and merciful and kind and you know and all of that. And yes, He is. Right. But here. This is the persistently unfaithful. He keeps graciously calling them and they keep consistently saying, we don't want anything to do with you, right? Then there's, there's ultimately a judgment. And whether this is short-term with the destruction of Jerusalem, right, which is coming. Um, remember, Ezekiel's in, in Babylon and the full destruction of Jerusalem hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen in a few years. It's about five, what do we say? Five. This one's not dated, but... We're somewhere around 592 to 590 BC, and the destruction of Jerusalem's in 587. All numbers you should remember. I don't know. I just say it enough times. Eventually it sticks. Then God lays his hand against them. You'll see this with the destruction of Jerusalem. Also in the destruction of Jerusalem that happens after Jesus ascends into heaven in AD 70. Um, Josephus and Eusebius both record for us what happens in Jerusalem. Guess what? They're surrounded by the Romans. And so the supply of bread is cut off. And then they resort to all sorts of things you'd rather not read about. But I like to tell you on Trinity 10 every year about them. Since Jesus t talks about them, he prophetically speaks of that destruction. Yeah. Um, so, and then sin famine because the bread's cut off. Cut off man and beast from it. All right. And then there's this really important point, And this is what we want to dwell on today. Because he makes it a few times. So he's really... Ezekiel really, uh, well, I would say God actually through Ezekiel wants you to catch on to this. If, even if these three men, and these are notable people, right? Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it. They would deliver only themselves. All right. By their righteousness, says the Lord, the Lord God. All right. So what's really important here is the righteousness of faith which these men are described as, what, is, what did I say on the sheet? They are described as um, faith, found favor in the eyes of Yahweh, blameless and upright, righteous and blameless. These are the ways the Bible talks about, especially Job and Noah, right? That Noah found favor in the eyes of God, meaning God granted him faith for righteousness sake, right? Faith in the Messiah. It only saves Noah it only saves Job. The faith that's given to them individually only saves them. That doesn't mean that there isn't a bigger faith, right? But, but then there's the necessity of, a, of personal belief, right? This is huge with Jesus. Remember, they, he's interacting with the Pharisees. Um, what is it? In John 8, maybe? He's in the, he's, it's at the Passover, and they're like, we're, we're sons of Abraham, and how do you... you you know, we say you have a demon and you're a Beelzebub, right? We're sons of Abraham. And, and Jesus says, no, you're not sons of Abraham because you don't believe what Abraham believed. Now, yes, you're sons of Abraham by blood, lineage, right? Earthly birth, but not by faith. To be a son of Abraham, God, uh, Jesus says, is to believe the promise that was given to Abraham of the offspring who would crush, well, that's Adam and Eve, of the offspring by whom all the nations would be blessed, right? Which is a prophecy of Jesus. So if you had believed in the promise, Jesus says you would have believed in me. Just like Abraham has seen my day, he's rejoicing and believing because he sees me. And they're like, but Abraham's dead. 
<laughs> Actually not. He's in the resurrection. Sorry. And they're all super confused because they, the Pharisees have latched onto this idea that you can be saved by the righteousness of others. So just by being joined to other people who are righteous, you too might be saved. <laughs> might, maybe. All right. So by virtue of birth. So, oh, this would be like me. You come in on Sunday and say, Pastor, don't talk about my sin because I'm a son of Sherman Center. I've been a member of Sherman Center my whole life. And my grandparents and my great-grandparents before them were members of Sherman Center. And you don't tell me that I'm a sinner because I'm saved on account of them. Sounds kind of silly, right? Except this is exactly what the Roman Catholic Church taught at the time of the Reformation and was canonized at the Council of Trent. It's still the official doctrine, even though most Roman Catholics don't actually believe it, I think. <laughs> but it's still the official teaching of the church, which is that the godly, the saintly, the people... I, I'm sorry. I'm gonna, Dennis, I'm going to pick on you. Dennis has so much righteousness. He does so much good, which is true, right? And, and it overflows. It's, he's got... And there's like consign and condign righteousness. I don't remember the words. Those are two categories. They have these categories. But he has so much righteousness, but then he dies. Ah, but I don't have very much righteousness. He still has all that righteousness in his little treasury box with him in the grave. So all I have to do is pray to him, because he's not really dead. He's sleeping, right? Right? I know this sounds silly, but whatever. So I'm going to pray to Dennis, St. Dennis, right? And say, Dennis... You know, show some favor upon me so that I don't have to spend as much time in purgatory, another thing we invented. Yeah. Right, right. That's what I'm just describing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. And the Jews had the same view. That's the, so the Roman church is just taking an old pagan mythology as long, and just melding it with an old Jewish idea that Jesus condemned, oops, right, and saying, well, surely... Surely, there's a time, don't call me Shirley. There's, there's a time of purgation when your sin is finally, you know, has to be expunged from you because Jesus can't raise dead sinners. He raises righteous saints. I'm like, anyway, I, when I describe it that way, it sounds kind of silly. This is like watching South Park describe Scientology. You're like, okay, if you say it that way, it is really kind of dumb. But the people who believe in Scientology don't think it's dumb at all. There's nobody's described it for him in a way that actually shows how it is. All right. Uh, yeah, so there's all sorts of stuff about the Roman church and the treasury of merit at the bottom of page one into the top of page two, if you want this. But yeah, you've heard about indulgences and all of this, right? But listen to what I write at the top of page two. This teaching involves a, a bookkeeping mentality, right? God's keeping a book, or you need to keep a book of your sins and your, and your forgivenesses, right? And the transfer of righteousness rejected by Ezekiel here, right? So Dennis has so much righteousness that he can transfer some of his to me so that, you know, I don't have to spend as much time suffering in the, the hells of purgatory. It is at odds with the biblical teaching that justification is sola gratia and sola fide through the merits of Christ alone. We heard about those three solas before church today. Hence, it subverts also the biblical doctrines of law and gospel. All right. So one of the key themes, which you'll see in that next paragraph, is these three characters that are mentioned. Who are they? Noah, Daniel, and Job. Their righteousness only saves them. It doesn't save you. It's right here in Ezekiel 14. All right. As case law, if you like. Funny, it doesn't actually, it's not compatible with case law in the Roman church. Not to pick on anybody in particular. 
but there they are. And this is an old problem. The Jews had the problem. I mentioned the Pharisees. After, before the Roman church, but after the time of Christ, are the Pelagians. You are the Pelagians? Those are the people who said, Jesus died for you, but you have to actually accept it by faith. So faith comes from you, not the Holy Spirit. Reference sermon. And, um, and that you somehow earn God's favor through your works. So there's the favor of God, but it's received by you cooperating with it. Right? So Jesus gives you a sprinkle of grace, and that wells up into you into righteousness. That's the idea. Right? So there's lots of different people that have taught the same thing, not to just pick on the Roman church. Right? The Pharisees at the time of Jesus and others. Right? So they, there's no righteousness to be attained, even at least partly by human works, but unaided by God's grace. Right? So think of the sermon today. It's all by grace or it's not by grace at all. So nice. That's clever. Let's write that on a t-shirt. It's all by grace or it's not by grace at all. Right? It's all by faith or it's not by faith at all. Right? And you could do the same. It's, either, it's all through the scriptures or not from the scriptures at all. Right? In other words, it's not, if it's not Jesus, then it's, if it's not entirely Jesus' work, then it's not from Jesus at all. Because right? then it's just dependent on you. And uh, Jesus did his part. Now you do the rest. You've heard that. That God helps those who help themselves. That's Benjamin Franklin. You can thank him for that Pelagian view as well. All right. So we understood this term righteousness, which you saw there. They, even, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. Righteousness is a forensic term, meaning it belongs in the courtroom. The repentant, contrite, and believing sinner is declared righteous for Christ's sake in uh, terms of the covenant promise initiated, maintained, and sealed on the cross by God himself. Right? So it's a different kind of righteousness. This isn't the righteousness that we have before one another where we do rightly, where children obey their parents, or where you're model citizens because you pay your taxes and submit to them in all things, even though God said don't do that. Um, that's a different kind of righteousness. Or just you know, listening to your... Dennis, you have workers under you that listen to you, right? And you tell them to do this, and they go do it. No, they don't do that? Okay, well, sorry. <laughs> Not anymore, right? You're out of that business. Um, but at one point you did, right? And yeah, that's a kind of righteousness, doing the right thing, right? That's not the righteousness that we're talking about here. This is the righteousness before God, which only comes uh, through God's declaration of us. So while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us, and God declared you forgiven even while you remain a sinner in the flesh. So you have these two things at odds with each other every day. You're a sinner according to the flesh, and yet God says you're not by his word. They're like, well, but wait, just read Romans 6 through 8, okay? And that's your daily life. That's the Christian life. We're probably the only people left in the Christian church that believe that's describing the present tense reality of the life of the Christian. Some say it's a future that's to come. Some say it's the past that's already behind us. We've moved on from it. But we say Romans 6 through 8 is the life of the Christian. Simultaneously sinner and saint, dying and rising with Christ each and every day. You heard that in the sermon. And that's at the bottom of the page, I think. Romans 6 through 8. Yeah, there it is. Um, so where was I? Empty hands of personal faith receive God's undeserved favor and, and emphatically, this is not transferable to any other person. And Ezekiel is going to pick up on this again in chapter 18 and chapter 33. You can't be saved by the faith of another person. Now there is this weird statement in the New Testament, I just thought of it, right, where the unbelieving spouse saves the other one, right? But it has to do with um, the proclamation of the gospel in the house. 
Right. So the unbelieving is, as, as the believing spouse forgives <laughs> their unbelieving spouse daily and richly, hopefully, that's a call of the gospel and brings to faith. That's what that's about. All right. Where were we? In the text. Go back to the text. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job. All right, let's talk about the three guys. Noah, you know about Noah, right? Super faithful man, always did the right thing. No. What? No. Oh, was he declared righteous? Yes. Yeah, did God reckon him gracious? He, what did it say here? What did I put on my sheet? It says, I quoted it explicitly, he found favor or grace in the eyes of Yahweh. God looked on him with favor. He chose Noah and his family, eight souls and all, to save. And as we look in the life of Noah, not the most save-worthy person. First thing he does when he gets off the boat is plant a vineyard, get drunk, and pass out naked. That's the first thing recorded. I don't know how long it took for the vineyard to grow and whatever, but... Eh, that's, that's a pretty good example of Wisconsin life. No. Of, <laughs> of righteousness, doing the right thing. No, he brought great shame on his family. Only one son was like, okay, I'm going to back, go in backwards and put a clothing over him so, his, so he's not exposed. Wow. Yeah. So Noah was reckoned, you know, and it is true. He did what the Lord told him to do. He built the ark, right? And he got into the boat. So he acted in faith. That's absolutely true. But that doesn't mean his whole life was one of faithfulness, right? Yeah, he was reckoned. He found favor in the eyes of God. God chose him and, and showed him grace and favor. Right? Both at the same time, right? You think there weren't days where he's like, this boat thing is really stupid. It's all right. Don't worry. Phones ring all the time. As long as we're not at a concert. That's when it's annoying. Yeah, you wreck the music, especially ringtones. There's a, there's a composer that um, he solicited the audience because he composed a piece where they would, uh, there was a QR code or whatever, and you download an app in your phone and it put, everybody's phone got a different tone in it and he had a computer system that would automated call them, the 200 phones in the audience, and it would, so it would play, it would ring and it would start playing the, and then the other part of the music would start coming from somebody else's phone. Yeah, sounds like fun. Yeah, who needs an orchestra, right? Anyway, let's, like, let's take that and just use it. Um, all right, so Noah, not the most faithful of the bunch, but interesting thing here with these three figures. Um, I did not know this. Noah is outside of the story in Genesis 5 through 10. He's only mentioned in two other places in the Bible, apart from this text. Yeah, you would think, like, everybody knows the story of Noah and the ark, Right. No, it's, he's listed in the list of patriarchs in 1, Corinthians 1, or 1 Chronicles 1, 4. And um, the flood is mentioned in 54, 9. Now, there's plenty of allusions to the flood, right? But not to Noah by name. Very interesting, right? Uh, and then Job is the same thing, right? You have the book of Job, but outside the book of Job, only mentioned in James 5, 10 through 11. Now, obviously, it's a whole book, so that's fine. Ruth is probably that way, too, actually, if you went and look up Ruth. I doubt she's mentioned anywhere else. Uh, by the way, the name Job isn't. They, they found um, an Egyptian execration text. I, that's meaning it was written on the wall of the toilet um, from about 2000 BC, mentioning him by name. Yeah, interesting. Or a Job, right? See, there's always a problem, the names. 
But the reason I bring this up, because we have no problem with Noah, testified in the scripture. Job, we don't know when he lived and where he lived. Like the land of Uz is like, where's that? Nobody knows. All right. Um, but it's been received as scripture. Everybody, I think, acknowledges that both Job and Noah were real people. The problem here is with Daniel, because Daniel's a contemporary of Ezekiel. So what does Ezekiel know of Daniel? They don't refer to each other. Um, maybe one thing that would be helpful, I didn't put it on the sheet, is what does Daniel mean? Daniel. Oh, L. You know what L, short for Elohim, God, right? Daniel. Man of God. His name just means man of God. Well, you know, who's a man? Don's a man of God, right? Yeah, we call you men of God, right? I mean, this is a, yeah, so we could call you Daniel, right? Yeah, so it's, it seems to be pretty common in that kind of sense. So which man of God is this? Is it the, is it the prophet? You know, probably not, because like I said, they're contemporary. They're in different parts of Babylon, but, you know, because Daniel was in the king's court and Ezekiel's down by the river with all the old guys. Um, and they don't, they overlap, but they're not, yeah, they're prophesying from the same place. I, so I don't know if it's really the historic Daniel. There's a lot of people that talk about this. And that's also 6th century, by the way, Daniel. He's later. I mean, he's not later. He's, he's about the same time, but he's later in the 6th century. Um, there are other books that mention the Daniel. First Enoch and Jubilees, but those come after the time of Ezekiel. But here's a fun little story, which I put here. A discovery in 1929, this is the bottom of page one, of the Canaanite mythological texts. They found a whole bunch of these in Ugaritic. Any of you know how to read Ugaritic? All right, so if you read ancient Mesopotamian, if you want to get involved in ancient Mesopotamian, like archaeology or whatever, you have to learn Ugaritic. A lot of it's written in Ugaritic. It's, it's, um, it's symbolical, kind of like the, the hieroglyphs in Egypt. So it's that kind of language. Anyway, um, including the Aquat Epoch. Everybody's read that. It starts out with a king named Danel. Huh, funny that, right? This is about 2000 BC as well, same time as Job. Um, and begins with the tale of this king named Daniel. But the king doesn't sound like a faithful king at all. So this guy's being commended for his righteousness. Not, not the king in the Ugaritic text. But anyway, the point is, is this name has been around for a long time, Daniel. It's not just the guy in the 6th century. Does that follow? I'm just pointing out that there, there's somebody from 1,400 years before that was called Daniel. And there's other variations and there's other people. Um, so what I'm suggesting to you, maybe, is that this Daniel is a figure more like Melchizedek, who we don't know where he came from and where he went, and he just kind of appears and then he disappears in Genesis, um, but who's commended because he's the king of righteousness. That's what his name means, Melchizedek, Zedek, his righteousness. Um, and he's from Salem, the, the, the city of peace, which later becomes Jerusalem, right? The city of peace. And he just appears and he disappears. Ends up being in, in uh, Hebrews, when we studied Hebrews, you remember this. Um, Hebrews used Psalm 110 verse 4 as like one of its, that seems to be the sermon text that he's preaching on. And he does three chapters on Melchizedek being a picture of Christ and Christ's righteousness. And his city is the holy city, Jerusalem. And he comes with righteousness and, and, and peace for his people. And maybe this Daniel is like, and the epitome of a man of God, right? A righteous man. Good enough? 
Maybe it's the other Daniel too. Maybe it's the real guy. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. The whole point of the story, the whole point of what Ezekiel's making is these three men who are very righteous people by God's declaration called Noah righteous. He called Job righteous many times. And, uh, and, he, and he calls Daniel righteous, both the historic figure, but whoever this figure is. Their righteousness doesn't save you. Their faith in Christ or in the promise doesn't save you. Right? And that's important. And this is, what, this is why Jerusalem's being destroyed. Because they're like, well, we're God's city. They're like, well, what, what do you believe? Doesn't matter. We're God's city. They're like, do you believe in God? No, we have idols too. Like, we've already gone over this, right? Okay. Everybody following? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting, right? All right. Then there's more on the sheet if you want to read about this. We talked about the hand. We talked about Daniel. We talked about treasury of merit. All right. So let's look at the three cases. And so there's four cases and they repeat the same thing. So that's why we don't have to spend as much time in the text. But the, the predicate, it, and there's te- technical names for this in judicial law, but I don't know them. Do you, anybody a lawyer? All right. But we'll say, we'll call it the predicate. So uh, because of persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. That's true for all four judgments. And it doesn't matter if there's three faithful men um, in it. They, they only save themselves. Now, I, I did think of this as we were reading. With Sodom, it is interesting, right? Because Moses, uh, excuse me, Abraham intercedes and says, what if there's 100 righteous people? And then God says, I won't destroy it. What if there are 50? And then eventually it's 10, I think, right? For the sake of 10. And it turns out the only righteous are Lot and his family, minus his wife. <laughs> Poor lady. Right? Or at least she rebels there when they're exiting. Right? The only... And the city could not be saved because there was only Lot in his household. That was it. That remained righteous. Okay. Um, but here it's even three isn't going to do it. Even if they're super righteous three, it doesn't matter. All right. All right. So if I cause wild beasts to go through the land, right? So again, on the condition that they're unfaithful and they empty it, the wild beasts are going to empty the land and make it desolate so that no man can pass through the beasts. And even though those three men were in it as I live, they would deli- deliver neither sons nor daughters, only they would be delivered and the land would be desolate. All right? So that's the consequence of persistent unbelief for those who are persistently unbelieving, right? Notice here, Noah, Daniel, and Job are saved because of their faith, right? They're, right, they're persistently faithful. All right. So we have the wild beasts coming through and tearing the thing apart. This sounds like Exodus language, doesn't it? We had the hand... And then we heard about like the locusts come through and just eat everything that's left. Yeah. You can participate. Sorry. Are you, oh, you're tired. You told me. What? <laughs> I just realized I hadn't asked you any questions. Uh, okay. Then we have swords. So there's the warfare, right? And they say the sword go through the land and I cut off man and beast from it. And even though these three men were in it, righteous, faithful people, as I live, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters. So even their own children aren't saved because of their faith. Oh, I wonder how many people believe that. I go to church, so that'll save my kids, even though they don't listen to Jesus anymore. That might hit too close to home, sorry. Um, Even though, sorry, not sorry, I guess. I mean, it's God's word, it's right here. Uh, Even though these three men were in it as I live, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but only they themselves would be delivered, right? Same as the... Same as the first, all right? And then pestilence. Pestilence is disease usually, right? 
Yeah, so I send my COVID into the land and pour out my... No, COVID's not a good example. I know, Vicky's been watching Last of Us. When I send my cordyceps mu- mushroom... Cordyceps mushroom fungus now, thing. I'm sure that's why I'm allergic Ask to it. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is a show. It's based on a video game, and the mushrooms mutate to the point where they infect people and then turn them into zombies. It's just another zombie show, but it's the mushrooms that do it. Which actually, these mushrooms do with like crickets, and they turn the crick- the crickets aut- like automatically move, and, and cordyceps can't communicate with each other. Which is, the Last of Us. It's on HBO. All right. Yeah, if you like zombie stuff, it's kind of fun for zombie. If you're, yeah. Well, Walking Dead's a better example because that literally was a pestilence. It was a disease, right? Yeah. Um, and pour out my fury on it in blood. Some people say blood is another pest, another judgment, but the blood either belongs to the pestilence or to the sword, is what I would argue. And cut off it from man and beast, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were there, were in it, I should say, as I live. They would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. And remember, righteousness is being declared righteous for the sake of Christ. And you say, well, Christ isn't born yet. Yeah, okay, it's fine. Be, 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 being declared righteousness for the sake of faith in the promise given to Abraham. Same thing. All right, good. Okay, so now that's four, right? What were the four? Famine. Uh, wild beasts. Warfare. And pestilence. Which is interesting because I heard uh, a person who talks about uh, world events say that those three always go together. War, famine, and pestilence. War, famine, and disease. Not always in the same order, but always if there's war, there'll be disease and famine. If there's famine, there'll be disease and war. If there's disease, there'll be war and famine. All right. But they always leave out the wild beasts. Which is probably an ancient world problem more than it is a modern world. Because we can dominate wild beasts, you know. We have AK-47s or something. Yeah. Or rocket launcher. Here comes the rhino. Right. No problem. No wild beasts are going to devour us. Yeah. All right. So those are the four. And always the same, right? Same context. Because of persistent unfaithfulness, not saved by their own righteousness. All right. So here's the conclusion. For thus says the Lord God, how much more shall it be? All right, so now we've had the four judgments, and now he's saying it's actually going to be worse. All right, worse than that, judgment upon the land, whatever land that was, doesn't matter, right, is the judgment when I send my four severe judgments on Jerusalem. All right, so now the land is particularly named, the place, Jerusalem. The sword and famine and wild beasts and pestilence. And you say, well, Ezekiel, why'd you get them in the wrong order? It doesn't matter, right? It's the, those four things. You know, complete destruction. To cut off man and beast from it. All right? So that's going to be worse than what you thought was coming. Yet, behold, and this we need to talk about, there shall be left in it a remnant who will be brought out, both sons and daughters. Surely they will come out to you, and you will see their ways and their doings. All right, now this is an important remnant 
Because every time we've talked about remnant to this point, chapter 5, chapter 8, chapter 9, the remnant has been faithful and they've been saved. This is a different kind of remnant. This is the remnant when, um, when the warfare com- warrior, com- or excuse me, the king comes through and destroys you and they save a couple to go and tell everybody else what happened. Right? So this is the, these are the sons and daughters that are pre- saved in order to testify to what God had done. Otherwise, nobody would know that it was God. So dramatic. You know, when you're two. Joy and sorrow. In one breath. Yep. All right, so this is, the, this is the remnant that will come out to you, and you will see their ways and their doings, which aren't faithful. So you'll look at them and you're like, oh, that's why God did that to Jerusalem. Now we can see. All right. It's that remnant. It's a different kind. Then you will be comforted concerning the disaster that I brought upon Jerusalem, all that I have brought upon it. I don't know how that consoles you or comforts you. Right. And they will comfort you when you see their ways and their doings. And you shall know that I have done nothing without cause that I have done in it, says the Lord God. So that it's a kind of strange consolation or comfort here. They're like, wow, God was really vicious in his destruction of, that, of Jerusalem. And then you, then you meet the kids and you're like, oh, I get it now. God was just. Because, I mean, there is a kind of, I mean, it, it can create a kind of rebellion against God when you look at the things that happen and you're like, I don't understand why he did this. Like, why did he do that? What? They didn't deserve any of that. And then you meet the kids and you're like, oh, I get it now. Right? I mean, that's the idea. Right. At least you can say God was just in his judgment. Right. Now that's still not very encouraging because <laughs> Jerusalem's destroyed by wild beasts, pestilence, pla- uh, pestilence is plague, war and sword, right? Did I already do war? Famine. Famine. Right. You need to memorize the four four signs of the apocalypse if you would. That'd be really useful. All right, but we need some gospel to end on. All right. Oh, I did give you some more stuff here about the unspiritual remnant. Um, Ezekiel's not the only one who says that. This is the second to last paragraph. They are not saved, but will be left. This is similar to the prophet's destruction that Israel would be like, quote, this is from Isaiah, gleanings, like what is knocked down from an olive tree, two or three berries on the top of the bough. Right? So this remnant are just like the extra berries that they did when they beat the tree. It's just those few that are left at the top that they couldn't reach. Or Amos, as the shepherd saves part of the carcass from the mouth of the lion, two legs or a piece of an ear. That's real pleasant, right? Israel is like the carcass and the shepherd saves a few just to say, look, this is what happens if you don't stay with the shepherd. And turn out like, and you just show the ear with the tag in it. That's all that's left of them. We talked about the hyenas and the jackals, didn't we? The foxes. Yeah. All right. Last paragraph. Okay. Gospel, gospel. They will know that Yahweh has not acted without cause. His judgments are fully in accord with his very being and revealed character. This is what Job confesses, which is why it's helpful he's mentioned. He's like, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We say that at funerals, right? Which means we don't understand what's going on here, but we know that the the Lord does what is good for us. Blessed be his name. Whether it's our time or not, all right? Um, specifically, Yahweh's cause is to teach that the death of the nation of Israel using the exile is necessary 
here's death and resurrection language, so that true repentance would be aroused in the survivors and a genuine Israel, not an Israel by birth or blood, but by faith, could be resurrected. So, like I said, we, get, we have to go through, slug through a lot of chapters here before you get to the promise fulfilled in Ezekiel 37. That's the Valley of Dry Bones. Famous chapter, right? Yeah. All right. The resurrection of the dead. And, and that's really important in Ezekiel. You just have to keep that in mind as we're reading here. The theology of the cross requires death with Christ and sin to participate in Christ's resurrection. All right. Death with Christ and to sin. I don't. Sometimes the spell check tells me to get rid of something, and it's like, no, that actually doesn't make sense then. All right? And that's the, the constant melody of all scripture law and gospel, death and resurrection. Um, I've said it this way it's the only story in the Bible is dying and rising with Christ. That's it. You see it over and over. The flood is a type of death and resurrection. Job's life is death and resurrection. Literally, right? I mean, that's the only thing that's, kept, that's not taken from him is his life. Everything else is taken and then restored at the end, right? Right? Not his, he marries, he has children. Does he marry the same wife? I don't remember the end of Job. Yeah, she was terrible. She said all sorts of ugly things. I wouldn't marry her. I'd be like, we're done. Um, and then, I mean, she abandoned him, basically. What were we saying? Oh, but maybe he's a, well, he's faithful, though, so he would come back to her. And then, uh, what was the other one? Oh, Daniel. Daniel's another one. Death and resurrection. If it's the historic Daniel, you've got fiery furnace, you've got lion's den. Those are both death, death and resurrection stories, right? And that's the story going on here, right? Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, right? Like, like Daniel, like Job, like, without looking, Daniel, Job, Noah, Noah. And, and, it's, and it's by declaration, not by works. Because they're, they're, I mean, they, they do faithful things, and they also do unfaithful things. I don't know, Daniel is actually kind of an exception to that. Dan, the book of Daniel, he must have wrote it himself, because he hasn't put a lot of things in there that he wouldn't want people to read. <laughs> All right. Good. Hey, that's fun. I guess we'll uh, look at chapter 15 next time, which is uh, more things being burned and destroyed. and You know, same old, same old. But uh, as we've told you many times, the, just to summarize, this book is essential. I, I'm coming to believe. I, I asserted this at the beginning, but I don't know if I believed it. To understanding um, all the prophetic end times talk in Revelation, no doubt, more so even than Daniel, but, but also, I think, Jesus, especially during Holy Week. All right, so as we're getting into Lent and we're getting close to Holy Week, those themes of judgment and destruction there um, that Jesus talks about, especially the withering of the fig tree. Do you know this story? All right, we'll talk about it. Remind me to talk about it next week because I think it fits with what we're going to see with, the, with the, the vine. Okay? All right, good. So Lord bless you, keep you, and uh, come to the funeral if you can. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.